Hello. My name's Sophie. I'm Megan. And uh, we really like movies. So, um, uh, my name's Sophie. I'm 17 years old and I go to Baswick, which is Brighton House, Sussex Sixth Form College in Brighton. Yeah, we both go there. We both like, um, really interested in like film studies and stuff and we're quite um we're it's a subject that we're both really passionate about so we thought we'd try and bring it to a bigger platform on the internet yes for those of you who don't know us we're called cinebra which is like cinema but with a bra because we rate movies in bras not stars because they're just as relevant and supportive <laughs> so in this podcast what we're going to do is we're going to go to the cinema together every month because we like to do that anyway and we're going to go and see a film that we think looks really interesting and kind of come back and just talk about it, dissect it a bit and yeah. let you know our feelings. Yeah. So um, last night we went to go and see the much-anticipated Get Out, which is the latest offering from Blumhouse Productions, which is a favourite of yours, isn't it? Yeah, I really like them most of the time. Yes. It was nice to, um, first and foremost, see, well, it's quite evident from the trailer that it's um, politically charged, which I feel in this current climate um, is very, very, very important indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Before we continue, uh, we'd like to point out that this is going to be full of spoilers, so if you have not seen the picture yet and don't wish this to be spoiled for you, then stop listening now. Yeah, this is one that I'd highly recommend that you go and see first because we we came in just watching the trailer and not really knowing what to expect, and I feel like as a kind of film in itself, it's a really good one to not know what's going to happen. Yes, I agree. But um, in order for us to, you know, totally really like... Um, analyse the film and go really deep into it we have to be able to talk about you know what it's what it's all about so yes um we'd like to point out as two uh white 17 year old girls there are certain things that we um may not be able to comment on however i feel that the issues within this film are presented with a very very intelligent way you cannot escape the fact that this film addresses race and that is something that although we have a stance on and can comment on um, as two uh, white 17 year old girls is obviously limited understanding there however we do not mean to offend anyone, we just merely want to comment on this amazing piece of film artistry. Yes. Now, first and foremost, we should talk about our two lead characters. Um, I thought the casting was brilliant for the main, who's our moody, sensitive, troubled, um, perfect angel of a main man, and that is Daniel... Kaluuya. Um, and the, his character is called Chris Washington. And you might have seen Daniel Kaluuya before. He's been in like quite a bit of television. He was in Skins and he's in the Black Mirror episode 15 Million Merits. So that's where you might recognise him from before. And from these, we know that he's a really good actress. Actress? We know that he's a really good actress. So we had high <laughs> hopes for him in this role. Yes. Um, I feel a lot of his um, 
uh, strong bits are shown within the trailer, but yeah, absolutely. Believe me when I say he has so much to deliver, and he does ever so well, and he fits the bill of a troubled main man very, very well. So Chris is um, he's a photographer. Yes, and you see like a bit of his work in the beginning of the film, and as it's all kind of being introduced and. He, he lives in, like, quite a nice apartment and he has this um, nice girlfriend who yes, is called... Yes, nice girlfriend. What is her... Oh, I keep clicking this pen. Her right. name is Alison Williams. <coughs> Isn't that the actress's name? Yes. But what is the character's name? Rose Armitage. Yes, so Rose Armitage, who's played by Alison Williams. And you probably recognise her from Girls because she's one of the main cast. Should, should we mention the beginning scene? Or... Yes. So that there's very a very powerful. Yes. Um it's very, very, very uncomfortable. There is a this is before we meet Chris and yes. um Rose, but it's a kind of like a spooky suburb area and um there's a guy on the phone and a car, a white car appears to be following him and Oh, it's important to mention that the guy on the phone is a person of colour. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I didn't mention that. Yeah. And he's looking shifty. He's also, he's on the phone. He's on the phone. Point. He's looking for somewhere. Well, he's like texting on the phone. He's looking for an address or something. So he's kind of on his way. But this car um, comes up behind him and it starts to get a bit uncomfortable. And then yeah. out um, of the car, you hear... Run, uh, rabbit, run. That old... Oh, God. Oh, in a context, it's um, it's not nice, and that sort of sets the theme of hunters, and yeah, right from the get go, it's very uncomfortable. He um, he kind of he tries to just get on with it um, at first, but I think one thing that starts to make you feel sort of um, really sets the tension is that he's not too, he's not surprised by it happening. Yeah, yeah, that is, oh, that sort of sets you up for it as well, because unlike, um, if we're going to be talking stereotypically in horror movies, it's not, it's not a cupped mouth gasp, how could this be happening to me moment, it is a black man trying to get somewhere without trouble, and he sniffs trouble, and he's working with that fact. And that that immediate ability to solve a problem or attempt to solve a problem without being taken aback by the situation is quite powerful within itself. Yeah, as a horror film, I think that's what is one of the things that makes this a very strong piece because as you were saying, like, um, in a, obviously some of the things that happen in this film do become outlandish but the root the root of the problem is very very real whereas if we're talking like i don't know halloween friday 13th it's um you know it's something that is much more out of the blue like you don't expect the serial killer to come and get you yes but that was fun. you don't expect like to be killed by a serial killer so the characters in those films are more um surprised by it happening so i think that's yes, a really powerful because, you know if we're if we're going to address this sarcastically, why on earth would we want to hurt a, you know, middle-class rich white girl? Why would we want to do that kind of notion? So anyway, at the end of this scene, 
He thinks uh, a shady figure comes out of the car. Yeah, but it, I think it's important to mention that he's trying to get to this place, but this car won't leave him alone. Yeah. So he thinks, screw this, I'm going to go. So he turns around, and but he, the car opens the door, the music turns up, and this is the moment when somebody comes out of the darkness and they like... Um, Put a bag over his head and drag him into the boot. Yeah, so that is... And the music takes over and you're just left with the opening credits whilst Run, Rabbit, Run is playing. And um, a beautiful juxtaposition and... Well, not, it's actually quite harrowing, but as a nice device. um, God. And, like, if that were a short film in itself, like, it would still be... Oh, God. But, yeah, it sets you up nicely for what's... Uh, well about to come and then we meet our uh, main man uh chris and yes something can be said about his work as a photographer as well like he's he chooses to shoot in black and white and all of his imagery is quite um sorrowful or melancholic it's described as later in the film uh, by an art dealer that he meets at a party which i think is um a a sort of creative um, decision that's been made, like through the eyes of this person of colour, he sees misery in black and white. And maybe I'm picking that too much apart, but I thought oh, that no, was, I see what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's, it's, it's a theme throughout. Um, and he lives in this lovely, lovely metropolitan apartment with some nice exposed brick and he has a cute dog. I th- I think it's really important to mention that, like, off the top of my head, I can't think of, like, many horror films with, like, a black protagonist. I agree. Um, like, often in horror, the, um, if we're talking, like, a stereotype... Well, unless, well, of course there's Blade, but that is more of, well, it's horror action, um, and, yes. Yeah, in terms of, like, um, you know what I'm trying to say. Um, uh, yeah, a, a protagonist who has to overcome a great obstacle. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there are. Yeah, films of course out there, there are. But yeah, the, yeah, there are other um, people of color films which aren't necessarily horror. That in which yeah, there's yeah, a lot of, of them. The color purple, for goodness sake. Yeah, but um, coming as kind of more so experts on the horror genre than another. That yes. um, the 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 iconic kind of characters you think of are like. You know, Laurie Strode, Sydney Prescott. Um, yes. If we're coming from this kind of standpoint. Yes. Right. Happy go lucky kind of. White middle class girl. Yes. Not to care in the world. But there's sort of an acknowledgement. Well, he seems sensitive and he seems a bit tense. Absolutely. So, like... you know, you can see in his face already <coughs> and like his shy, withdrawn nature that he has a story which you want to know. Yeah, and which we will find out later in the film. Yes. So the first scene, he is in his apartment with his girlfriend, who is called Rose, as we mentioned. And you can see from the minute that they get in that they like, they look very in love, and they have they seem to have this great kind of chemistry. Yeah, from the beginning, she seems like this kind of picture perfect girlfriend. Yes. And they, um, so she's saying they're going for this weekend at her parents' house, and she specifically says that. Chris is her first black boyfriend and he's saying, are you sure you shouldn't tell them? And she says, don't worry, my parents aren't racist. My My father would have voted for Obama for a third run if he could have. 
And the father mentions this again later, so it's just... And it's, yeah, it's that, again, it's a device, like, I'm not racist, mm-hmm. I have a black friend. Yeah. Or, oh. So, um, so they decide it's fine, and they head off to the parents' house. Yes. Which, of course, is in the middle of absolutely nowhere, um lovely woodland surrounding with a big old lake um yes picture perfect lovely um however <clears throat> they do um accidentally run into a deer on the way whilst having a nice moment um yes in the car uh they stop the car to check on the deer um, there seemed to be a morbid fascination from Chris and he oh. wanted to go and see the deer to check it was dead. But then he just sort of... I was expecting him to go and um, finish it off. I was he, too. That's what usually stood seems there. to happen in this sort of yeah. situation. But, but it, it happened in the beginning of the invitation, didn't it? Yes, yes, it um, does. Yeah. That seemed to be, again, a device like, oh, would you kill something to save it? Mm-hmm. Um Goodness. But um, in the terms of running something over, uh, you see a bit later why this is... Linked to his own personal story. Yeah, so I think that's quite poignant when you kind of know why it's there. So so they carry onwards and they get to this beautiful house. They drive in and they see somebody gardening. Um, And... This gardener is also a person of colour and they look very, very stern indeed. And, yeah, he's, he sort of looks stern for a moment. He looks to face the car, then doesn't he wave? I think so. Yeah, yeah. he waves with a big old smile. And it sort of echoes Stepford in that moment. But there's something quite contra... Because, oh, there's just like a falseness behind it that you can't quite put your finger on. And yeah, it's very much the, the uncanny. They don't feel quite... Um, right. Yeah. Um, and it's... Oh, this is you being introduced to, like, the, the rest of the story. Um, and you pull up and the parents are coming out of the house. This house that sort of echoes these 17th century houses with their big white pillars and that sort of early American style houses. So already there's kind of a nod to like slave trade era and the fact that it's in the middle of nowhere and, oh, it's just very uncomfortable. Then they come out and they greet them both with open arms, but the the music itself is quite tense. Um, Yeah, I thought the whole film was actually scored really well to kind of orchestrate the... um, the tension and what was going on in the story at the time. But the parents are instantly recognised <coughs> as trouble and they're brilliantly portrayed by Catherine Keener and Bradley Whitford. Mm-hmm. I mean, the first few moments that almost played to seem very friendly, but very too calm. friendly. Yes. I feel yeah. like the mum gets away with it more than the dad at first. And then they, after um, going to meet Georgina who, um, yes, they say, it was another um, person of colour, who they, and again, she's standing there smiling in the kitchen. Yeah, she's another, she's another um, person who works in the house. 
like, um, what's his name? Walter. Yes, Walter. They're both um, people who work in the house, and it, it explains later that they had um, hired these two people to... Um, Help take care of the house while the, um, the grandparents were passing. Yes, but then they, the father said he couldn't bear to let them go. Yes. Because he mentions to Chris that he might feel a bit uncomfortable. With, that... inverted commas, <coughs> servants. Yes. Which, yeah, again, sort of like... And he even mentions <coughs> to Chris right then and there, I would have voted for Obama yeah. a third time if I'd been given the chance. It's overcompensating. like the, Yes, um, and it feels very rehearsed. The, the, the way that these characters are played at first, the mother and the father, they're... They're played very friendly, but it's the use of the use of language, the use of the things they say that make yes. you feel. And then the um, dad starts calling him dog and stuff like and he that. He's calling him my man. And yeah, and trying to be street, <laughs> and it's always very uncomfortable. And the mother, yeah. um, she's sort of shaking her head at the situation, being very serene. The brother, uh, Caleb Landry Jones, um, Is who that the, yeah, that's the actor's the, name. Yes. Um, who Jeremy Armitage instantly recognises dangerous. Um, he's a bit unhinged. They have a very uncomfortable dinner. It's important to mention at this dinner that um, the parents say that tomorrow is some big event. Yes. When, um, what is it, the family that comes over? Or... Yes, well, it's like um, family and friends and stuff like that. And and Rose says, oh, why didn't you tell me it's tomorrow? And they say, it's, it's the, the same, same day every, every year. year. So that's kind of building up for the yes. kind of second act of the film. That's the end of the night. They call it a night and then um, they go to bed. Um, but Chris is having difficulty sleeping. He's it's, so... it's, it's also been saying to um, Rose that he's been feeling a bit uncomfortable by what the parents are saying, right? Yes, yes. Mm. And she's like, oh, I'm sorry. I know I should have mentioned. And he says, I know you should have mentioned. She's like, oh, well, let's go to sleep. And then he gets up in the middle of the night to go for a cigarette. Because and... he's a smoker. It should be mentioned that um, earlier on it's dropped that the mother of the family is a hypnotherapist. Yes. And she said, if you come and sit in my chair, I could cure you of your smoking addiction. The father said he's done it, and now when he sees a cigarette, he feels sick. So, But he's like, you know, actually, I'm all right. So he wants to go out for a cigarette. And this is one of our first jump scares. We see um, in the dark, walking around the house. Um, and uh, I literally did fly popcorn. <laughs> we see Georgina just scuttle about the house. Chris doesn't see her, but she kind of... yeah. Zoom. Does yeah the the classic walking across a hallway, ding there she is. Mm-hmm. Um, and he gets outside. Oh, I didn't like this bit at all. No, um, oh. Walter, the groundskeeper, um, is everything's quiet and he's about to light his cigarette and he's looking into the distance out into the woods and it's just a big long patch of green and then. He's sort of squinting, and Walter is just sprinting mm-hmm. straight at him. And the minute he gets like right in front of him, then he like turns, zooms to the next way. Um, so he gets a bit freaked out, and he decides to go back inside. Yes. To which, after turning, he sees Georgina in the window, looking at her oh, reflection, yes, giggling to herself, and just combing her hair. 
and there's something quite childlike in her movements and she's just like tittering to herself and then she just stops and carries on. So already we can see, okay, we got two clearly crazy people who are under some kind of influence. Can, can I ask just out of interest, what, um, what was your kind of take on what was going on with these people um, at this point in the film? I'd already put together hypnosis, psychotherapist, mm -hmm. and then unhinged son. Like, they kept him crazy, but they'd done something to those two. Sure, sure. But the question was, where did they come from? And why were they... Because it just seemed too obvious um, in the sense, the way, the way that they were portrayed. Like, do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. But that, that was the scary thing. The fact that the way they had been turned or manipulated was so uncanny, as you say. It didn't suit. That's what made it scary, but yeah. Yeah, much the same. So, like we said, he goes back into the house and he hears a voice that comes from, I guess, the living room area. No, it's the, the mother's office. A little study. Um, and I can't remember what she says. Oh, she says something like, you know smoking is really bad for you. Do you smoke something. in front of my daughter? Oh, yeah. That's not cool. She's my daughter. She tells him to come and sit down. And I think she offers to hypnotise him again. And he's like, no, no, I'm good. She's got a cup of tea. Oh, that bloody cup. Oh, no. Okay, and she's stirring her tea. And you start to hear like a... Oh, and I think that, that well, this is what um, triggers the um, hypnosis. And I think it's really important to note that Missy, the mother, literally controls people with a silver spoon. And a silver spoon, of course, equates to privilege. So, um, oh, God, I didn't even. Oh, it's so clever. And the fact that it's a nice little tea set, it's. Mm. Oh. And so you're hearing this noise, and he's like. Why can't I move? And she's asking him about... Because he mentioned earlier that his mother had died. And she starts to ask him about it. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it. But once he's under... She keeps probing him. It's very uncomfortable. And making him feel so small. And like, it's very, very uncomfortable. All the questions that she's asking. It's not just what she's asking. It's the way she's mm -hmm. asking it. She seems to be shaming him trying to back him into a corner of some kind of guilt that he doesn't want to feel or shouldn't have to. He's just met this woman. Yeah, absolutely. Once he is hypnotised, he can't move, and she gets him to say these things. He explains that his mother was killed in a hit-and-run accident, and he was at home watching television, and she didn't come back for hours, And um, but he didn't call the police or anybody because he felt like if he did, then that would have made it real, but left on the road and there might have been time to save her if if he'd done if he'd called somebody so he's got this kind of long-term guilt about the situation that this is one of the most powerful moments in the film i think you, you probably saw this bit in the advert where he's um kind of he's just sitting down he's got the tears rolling down yeah. his face it was really powerful he's literally paralyzed and he he can't even blink and his eyes are just streaming and then she sh and then she says now sink back into the chair and he's like, what? And she says, sinner. And he sinks back. And, and the, 
the viewpoint in which she becomes is literally a window in a abyss of nothing and he is at the bottom and the window's at the top and like I, w- I wouldn't say it was a window for me it was more like a television because oh yeah it was just, it was him. a screen but at the yeah. same time I felt like if we're going to be like the sort of social commentary within that is obviously like you know the the glass ceiling sure sure and like a black man in blackness looking up at this white woman controlling him mm. and there was something so powerful and absolutely um, and, a, oh yeah, it's just this image of him kind of floating down in this just surrounded by absolute blackness except for this little um window like you said and um it's the first moment in the film where something that isn't naturalistic happens i suppose yeah he sinks back into the blackness and then he wakes up the next day in hot sweat and he thinks like god what a horrible dream Yes, and... He turns over to look at his phone, and it's not plugged in. And yes. And he's like, hang on. Uh, we should mention that we haven't talked about his friend yet, who's looking after his dog. Yes, his his friend who acts as a comic relief, um, who is Lyrell Howery, who, um, Rod Williams is, is or Lil Rel Howery. Um, yes, he's great. He is a... Uh, well, a travel support officer, um, what, TSA. Not, he, basically, he is a member of policing at an airport and he calls Chris on his breaks and he is uh, wary of Rose and this whole situation from the get-go. So he, I guess he wants to call his friend, let him know how it's going, but his phone's out of charge, right? Yes. So he plugs it back in and... Um, yeah, I think he, he thinks it was a dream at this point, doesn't he? Yes. He goes down into the garden and has a little talk to Walter. And Walter was saying, sorry if I scared you last night. Um, and then he says, he asks if he'd had a hypnotism with Missy because he was in there for a while. So then he thinks like... Oh, yes, yes, yes. And again, um, this attitude with Walter. And as soon as Rose gets mentioned, he starts to go a bit stale. That's sort of like the first little clue in this wonderful mystery. He says something along the lines of, you're so lucky, or Miss Rose is lovely, or something. Yes, yes, he pays her a a begrudging compliment. But there's something within his tone of talking. Mm -hmm. Um, It's almost a transatlantic accent. Yeah, that's what what I clocked as well. It's it's very, very early American British. So one would assume that this, like, where are they getting this dialect from? And, you know, basically, oh, it's just very, very spooky. Like, that's the whole point, I guess, is what, well, was one of the points, that the fact that we're seeing someone not be themselves, I guess. But is that, I don't, um, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong with this point, but um, I felt like, these two characters, Georgina and Walter, did kind of um, harken back to kind of, you know, the super, super friendly attitude, that kind yes. of transatlantic accent. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, Song of the South, you know. Um, yes. That kind of thing. And, the, oh, the terminology that they use as well. Oh, God, because it happens later with Georgina. What? Um, the transatlantic thing, and then it's just, oh, I didn't, want to snitch on you. Oh, oh like, yeah, yeah. Snitch? 
Tattletale. These very like old fashioned, old fashioned, very white terminologies, and it it's is oh oh no. Yeah, it's the. For me, it was the Hollywood picture of what um, white people painted people of colour as in films back in the day. That's what it kind of read to me, and I don't know if that's... You could say that, but for for me, it was more like, if we can't... They were literally changing the personal essence of these people of colour. They were making them into these chipper, would-be, typically Caucasian... Yeah, yeah. Sounding, and it, oh, like erasing the cultural aspects and the personality that these people had had, Mm -hmm. which you could totally tell was the case. Yeah, it's the Um, Stepford kind of syndrome again. Again, yes, making something into some for someone else's own devices into somebody else's ideal, I guess. Yes, yes, I agree. Um, Which is why you're left with that uneasy feeling because you want to know why this is the case. So that happens and um, he brings this up with Rose later, says like, oh, I think Walter has a crush on you. And again. And she's like, oh, I'll talk to my dad. Oh, blah, that's really weird. And she's, but what does she say? She yeah, says, she just like, oh, you th- again, you think I stand a chance? It's, it's interesting because all the way through the film, she also, although she says these kind of things, She's a perfectly supportive girlfriend whenever anybody... So as we're talking about Rose, I think it's important to mention that um, throughout the film, she kind of militantly pleases racism. Like, um, in the when when they're in the car together with the deer and stuff... Oh, yeah. we did mention yeah. the police officer! It's a bit late now, but... That's oh. <laughs> and, like, this is... And the, oh, that's the sort of grim reminder of... And it's such an aside moment, and you don't even see him. Like, it was just literally just that one little moment that is treated so... And at the end of the day, like, Rose wins the fight. We haven't said what happened, so... Sorry. They hit a deer, and then a policeman comes along and asks Rose what happens, and then the policeman says, Oh, can I see your licence, please, to Chris? Um, Which is obviously a very that neck of the woods American thing to do. And Chris goes to get it out because um, you can see that, again, he's used to it and he just doesn't want to cause any trouble. He just wants to get on. He just smiles through it and goes, don't worry, I'll give you my licence. And Rose pipes up and says, hang on. No, he wasn't driving. And he's like, Rose, it's fine. But she, she really sticks up for him and says that, you know, he hasn't done anything so he doesn't need to see it. And eventually the police officer gives that. And you think, like, nice one, Rose. Yeah, yeah. go on. Yeah, so uh, as as we were saying, she's saying weird things about Walter again. She's making these jokes that, you know, seem jokey at first, but then... I mean, it's, oh, it's, it seemed jokey all the way through, but she just does it so frequently about everybody he talks about that um, it starts to get a bit uncomfortable, I guess. Yes. Um... So they're in their room, and he's plugged his phone back in. To charge, and he speaks. He speaks to his friend, Rod. He plays as the kind of comic relief to the tension that's going on in the house. Yes, and he's saying things like, "Oh, he, she's hypnotizing you, so you can become a sex slave. That's what they do." Yeah. So it's it's nice to have these moments that kind of break up the tension throughout the film. 
It's important to note that Jordan Peele, who directed the film, is kind of an expert in comedy, and this is his first directorial debut, and it's the first horror thing he's done. Like, he's done mostly comedy on television, so it's great that it has these kind of moments too, but also he's done such an amazing job of coming into the genre, but we'll talk a bit about that later. Um... So yeah, he's talked to his friend, he's plugged his phone back in, and we see cars pulling into this event. Right? Yes. As they go downstairs, Walter goes to open the car for people, see all these guests who are... Archetype, rich, older, white people. And... Everybody is acting a little bit... Um, I call this montage the shit white people say montage. Um, may it be this elderly cougar who um, starts commenting on his shoe size and is it true what they say? Um, uh, is got, black better and she's looking him up and down? I've got um, somebody else said, fair skin has been in favour for years, but now the pendulum has swung back. Black is in fashion. Is in fashion. Another person asks if he's played golf, and he says, um, I played it once, I wasn't very good. And then he says, oh, I do I, know Tiger. Yeah, I know Tiger Woods. Like, you know. It's just very uncomfortable. You can yeah, see how uncomfortable Chris is getting. And I think as a kind of... But at the same time, he has a weird acceptance for it. Exactly. Which, which furthermore that's... makes it so much worse, because he shouldn't be, and... Your frustrations and the tensions lie. I, th- I think it's less so being all right with it, but he's. I think he's obviously... Trying to get on with it. Yeah, that's exactly it. He doesn't want to cause any trouble because he's so used to... That, and he's way yeah. in over his head in that situation. I think it's interesting coming to this film as a white person... What an experiencing... Not first-hand, but, like, to be able to be that fly on the wall. Yeah, and obviously that is what this film is about. Yes, saying, exposing this and bringing, you know, and attention. I can, I, I can say that it's very effective in the way that it does that, and this film is one of... I mean, sorry, this scene is one of the bits that illustrated this important issue. Yeah. What One of the most effective scenes for me. I agree. So he spots um, another... Well, another couple. It, well, he was he was by himself at this point, wasn't yes. he? And he goes... Yeah, yeah, he goes he, to... He spots another person of colour at the table, so he thinks like... Right, um, yeah, so I'm going to talk to this guy. So he goes over to him and he... He says, it's nice to see another brother here. and But he turns around and he has the same kind of glazed oh. smile transatlantic accent as yes. Walter and And he's Georgina. wearing a straw hat and he looks quite dapper. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just something not sitting. Like, oh. And then his, I guess his partner comes over who's a lady about 30 years his senior and he says to her, It's like, oh, um, Chris here was just telling me how he felt comfortable with my being here. Like, what? <laughs> it was so mad and it was so uncomfortable. Um, he's starting to put pieces together. 
I think it's not mentioned, but he feels like he's he knows this person from somewhere. Yes. So he gets his phone, which oh, this is the Georgina bit. Oh yes, he but goes. We talked to... about that already, sort of. Yeah. Well, um, he goes to go back to his phone, and his phone has been unplugged again. Yet, even though he specifically remembers plugging his phone back in, and um, Georgina has been scolded for this, and Georgina comes in to speak to him and apologise and Rose is brought up again to which she starts to cry through smiles. I thought she started to cry when he he said something like um, the white people's behaviour and then she's like, oh no. No, 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 no. They treat us so well or something. No, 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 no. And you can see the, but you can see the kind of cracks coming through and, and she's just smiling through tears you see this emotion coming through her eyes but she's still got this kind of front yes eye. she's so oh it's so scary that bit was really so chilling and you what you, you can't blink because it's so harrowing and she's standing so close to him and she's got this genteel but it's oh it's so threatening at the same time she, and she explains to him that she was wiping his side and the phone unplugged, but she thought she should leave it rather than mess around with it a bit more. So he's like, okay. And then he gets his phone. And, yeah, he goes back downstairs to the party um, to attempt to take a photo of... Logan. Logan. And um, the flash goes off and then everything switches. You could see... You, you see his eyes kind of... Cloud over... The, yeah, and from that character that he was, this kind of... Disposition. Uh, everything, everything switches in a couple of seconds, and you see the kind of... The shock on his face, and his nose his starts to bleed, his lip starts to tremble, he locks eyes with Chris and just goes for him. And he says, get out. Get which, out, get out, get out, get out, leave, get and out. You, and you don't know whether that's... Um, it could be... A threat, it could be a warning, it doesn't, I feel like the emotion doesn't really say either way for me. Yeah. But you can see that he's upset. Yeah, like visibly he's, he's very, really, very... really quite traumatised. And although there's, there's a desperation there as well, although it does seem threatening, which kind of hammers home the situation, but you still don't know what's going on. So and the fact that everyone just sort of gently gasps it off, and then the brother comes in and pins him down and drags him away. So already, like, pieces are starting to come together because it looks very arranged. Once he's, once he's been taken away, they explain to him that he has epilepsy, I think they say. Yes, which is exactly what they say in the remake of The Stepford Wives when uh, one of, oh. at the barnyard, when uh, one of the wives starts to malfunction, mm-hmm. uh, they say that she had a uh, heat-induced seizure. Um, and she's just crowded, and they just pop her head back on, and that's it. But he gets taken away and um, treated by uh, Missy. Missy and Dean Armitage. 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 <laughs> and he ever so eloquently apologises. Yes, um, Logan comes back in and apologises, you mean? Yes. He says, you know, I must have frightened you all. Especially you, Chris. And then he says he's very tired and he's going to have to go home. Yes. Um, I think there's a little scene we didn't mention that becomes important later when <coughs> he goes and sits with the art dealer. 
Yes. Um, so it, it, I think the party got a bit much for him. Like this is about maybe ten minutes before in the film, somebody starts to talk to him who is visibly blind. He says he knows who he is because Chris is a photographer, and this guy is an art dealer. And he starts to say, "You have a really good eye." Um, he's kind of complimenting his work, which is almost ironic since he's blind, but he has an assistant that really describes in detail these pictures to him, and he explains how he used to have sight, but he never had the eye for photography or that kind of thing. And then, mm. so it, it seems almost nice that he's connected with one person at the party, like there's no kind of, doesn't seem to be any threat from this guy, for, from my perspective anyway. Oh, God. I agree. Yes, everything seems a bit more settled and you kind of have a bit more faith in the company which they keep. After this seizure thing happens, it's Rose who says, we need to go for a walk, which I think is an important point, that it's her who initiates it. Yes. So they go um, through a little forest to a lake, and but the father's like, don't you want to stay for bingo? And they're like, no, no, we're okay. So they go, and then they're having a conversation about, he's saying, you know, I really want to go, I'm not comfortable, there's something really bizarre going on, right? Mm. And then... She's like, you mean you're going to leave without me? And it's like, with or without you. And as this is going on, we start to see this montage. Well, not a montage. We start to see this scene of all the other people at the party playing bingo. And it kind of zooms out from the dad on the bandstand. And next to him is this big print of Chris. And all the In a gold frame. And the bandstand is black. Everyone's wearing black. It's reminiscent of a funeral, mm. um, but they're playing bingo in it, a very stern way. It doesn't even seem to be bingo because everybody, everybody on that card has a line stamped and they're holding them up. Um, almost, I don't know, they're kind of holding up the bingo cards, almost felt auction-like. Yes, um, which echoed the slave trade again. And it's, oh, it's just this, oh, it was just so uncomfortable because obviously, like, if that were to happen now, it would be obscene. But the fact of the matter being is that it did happen, and it has happened. Yeah. And probably some dark circles in this world, it still is happening. And you start to see, the, like, the darker side of this family. And it also might want to be... Well, well, because you know you start they're to see up to something. But now beneath you're... the surface, I guess. It's this moment when you see the picture of Chris there. It's almost like... Damn. It's that kind of wicker man moment when you start to realise that everybody is in on it. But, you know, he's still got Rose and she's still being really nice and she eventually says, like, okay, we'll both go. You know, we'll go and sort our stuff. We'll, we'll go. I guess we'll get out. They get back to the... Ah, I remember. He sent the picture to his friend, the picture of the guy from the party. And Yes, and then... Um... He calls him... And his friend calls him when he gets back to the room and he says, that is, I might have got the names mixed up, I don't know which one's which, but. <laughs> I think he might be saying, it's either Andrew or Logan. Andre. 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 Yeah, so he says, oh, this guy from the party, the one who had the seizure is. Andre. Yeah, so his friend on the phone says, this is the guy that we know from here. And he like went missing. Yes. Oh, oh, and then he's like, oh dear. He's clocked, this is happening. Rose comes back in. He says, Rose, we have to leave right now. She's like, why? He's like, I'll explain in the car. Go and get your stuff. 
she goes to get it, but then behind him he notices There's this little door in their room that's always been open. And it's kind of been an elephant in the room. Oh, I didn't notice it had been open. Oh, he, he, every time he noticed that his phone was not charging, he noticed that this little cupboard oh, God, I didn't clock it. had been open the whole time. The whole and the one time that he actually gets to go and approach it, he goes in there and classic, there's a little red box just meticulously centralised within this little cupboard and he opens up the box and there's a photo of Rose and unknown black guy. And, and another at the one. beginning of the film, she said she's never dated a black guy before. So you think, oh. Um, yeah. And then another one. And another one. Another Another one. Another one. And then it's a picture of her and Walter. And so you're like. Oh, my God. And, and then, then. if that isn't enough, she turns to the last one. And it's a picture of her and Georgina before she was Georgina. And all of these pictures are like them as happy couples. Yes. And so. Then he clicks, then he knows that he's got to get out. Yes. And he's like, but she comes back in the room and she's like, he says he was just looking for his camera and she was like, oh, it's just here. So then they get ready to go and he's like, where are the keys to the car? She, she's like fumbling for She's them. taking her sweet time looking for those keys. And then the whole family uh, ever so threateningly standing around the house and they're, you know, clearly this is... Um, the third phase of the narrative, so this is going to be the final bit. And yes, to, just leading up to like very, very intense third act. Well, it's all been intense, but this is kind of the where yeah. All now, explodes, now I things suppose. now things are starting to fit together. So um, he's trying to leave. She's like um, he's like Rose, where are the keys? All the family's being really threatening, and they're all kind of surrounding him. The hot, creepy son has got this. What does he have? It's a it's a a, a polo stick. Yeah, and dad's Which being is, weird. Yeah, very white in itself. And then he starts shouting at Rose because he's losing it now, and he knows Rose is in on it too. But he just needs the keys, and he's like, "Rose, where are the keys?" And then he's like, "Oh, I don't know, I don't know." And, and then she's she just getting upset. Her hand and yeah, and, she goes, and then she can't go on with it anymore, so she just drops her facade. Well, I don't even think it's that. I think she's just messing with him, you know. Because I think she knows that he knows because he came out the cupboard. She got the keys like, here they are. You know I couldn't let you have them like they. And then it's like, fuck. And then mum comes in like. And he's like, oh no. And he goes under. Um, and he's going into the, what's it called? The, um, the sunken place. Yes, the sunken place. And You um, see him going down into this blackness again. And you can see him looking up at the window through the people. They're still talking to him. And his friend Rod keeps trying to ring him, but he's going to answer phone. And he he doesn't know what to do, so he's trying to put a case together to go to the police. And um, he does his homework, and we notice from his investigations that the man from the beginning is Logan. The only difference... Is that so? Yes. Okay, I, didn't, yes. I couldn't tell. He had facial is. hair in the beginning, oh, okay. and then he didn't. Okay. And... That was the only, yeah. Oh, um, sure, sure, sure. That makes um, sense. Oh, goodness. Um, but all the way through, he's still being painted as this, like, f fumbling comedy character. So he's in the background, but he's not... He's doing his research. He's not directly involved with the action. Yes. Because he doesn't... He just has inklings as to what's going on. He's, he's heard... trying to piece it all together. Yes. And so he presents his case 
to a uh, black female police detective who is very much perplexed by this news. And so she says, I'm going to get a second opinion. And she brings in two other black officers. And it's this is where you can tell that the comedy roots lie within the director. Because that bit, although frustrating because you want them to believe, um, they pretty much dilute the situation and laugh it off between them. And it is actually really funny. And so he realises that he has to take matters into his own hands. We haven't seen Chris for a while. But then we do. And he wakes up. Tied to a, a lovely chair. Yeah, he's got these straps on his chair. And he's sitting... Um, in front of him is a deer head, uh, like it mounted on the wall. And it's interesting to note that the father earlier in the film was going on about how much he hates deers and he thinks they're like rats and they did a favour by killing one and stuff and then he sees one there. And right in front of him is a television, which again is a kind of motif of him sitting at the television when his mother was... Um, Dying in the road. Yeah, so here he is again. And the deer, to reinforce that fact, that was run over, that reminded him of his mother. And this room, there's like foosball in the corner, there's snooker, it's just it's just like this weird again, posh games room with no windows. It feels a bit like that, um, you know, in the Stepford Wives, the... Um, the the, the Men's Association, yeah. yes. A little bit like that. And then the TV starts playing and it's like an old... I want to say maybe early 90s video of um, this friendly old man saying, you were involved in something amazing and we're going to tell you what. Um, but they're not, they're sort of skirting around. It's all propaganda. Um, they're not really saying what they want to say um, or what they should be saying. And now you know this is an organisation. This is a front. It's a well, I want to say a business, um, not yeah. so much a secret cult, because they are, they're sort of glamorising the science of it as some kind of greater good programme. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it, and questions still aren't being answered as to what is the procedure, what is happening to these people. He does mention um, in the video that he's been through two phases, and the last phase is a kind of a pre-operative um, something. And yes. he goes like, oh, well, not like, oh, but like, oh dear. Well, more than oh dear. I don't know what the word is. <laughs> um, but yeah, he just, he, he is operative and he thinks like, fuck. Because then he's starting to click a little bit what's going on. And he's been scratching the hell out of this chair out of anxiousness. Yeah, but that's not, that's the next. Okay. I, th I think the next scene, I believe, was um, his friend on the phone to Rose, maybe? Yes. Um, the friend calls up and she's being so fake. She's, um, you can kind of hear the expression on her voice, but when you see her, she's just sitting there with a deadpan face, talking about um, answering oh, his questions. Oh, is he not there? He left two days ago in a cab. And then... He starts coming back at her with investigative questions like, what cab company did he use? You must know. And he, then he tries to record her and you're like, yes, he's going to get something. But then she starts being really sexual and saying, you know, on nights out, you, I know you wanted to fuck me, blah, blah, blah. 
And then he gets really uncomfortable and he hangs up so he didn't get anything useful. Yes. So <coughs> she knows exactly what she's doing. And what was really creepy in that scene, I thought, was like her parents kind of just watching her say these things as well. It was a bit... Yes, it was, yeah. It's, oh. Like, oh, just pimping out your daughter as bait for your weird little brain program is just, oh. So um, in the previous scene, at the end of that video... Chris was put under again by a video of the, the spoon on the cup. Yes. And he wakes up again, and this time he is, like, speaking on live video to somebody, and that somebody is... The art dealer. The blind man. He explains to Chris what is going on. And now you're under the understanding that um, he won him in the bingo auction thing. Because he explains what's going on is... Um, it's something to do with brain surgery. Like, for the most part he will be there like they still need the bit of the brain of the beholder that connects to the rest of the body but the rest of the brain is replaced with someone else's so he explains that chris will always be present in the sunken place but not conscious outwardly but on the inside he'll be able to see what's going on but it will have the other man's brain so that's been what's going on the whole time like these people have got other people's brains. And he says, your physical ability, your your athletic potential. And it, it, oh, he's talking about him as though he's a horse at a race. It's, it's really just like a piece of meat, really. Yeah, a, a, an instrument to be used. Yeah. And it's, oh, God. The kind of lack of humanity in the way exactly. that... Exactly. Um, in the yeah. way it's being... Because, like, fundamentally, this is, you know, it's already hammered but this is a more um, metaphorical way that they've um, expressed this but if we're going to look throughout the course of history it's very much addressing and kept on a much you know fictional level obviously um, people using um, black people for their own selfish needs and interests and if we're gonna you know not to compare them, but in a similar way, Hairspray and Dream Girls, they touch upon issues of um, uh, the black community and the music in which they made, which was then replicated, if not stolen, by white producers within the music industry. And then obviously the question of like um, uh, white dancers being okay on TV and black people having their own time, but only one day a month in Hairspray and not being integrated, and then we've got this, and, oh. Yeah, and all the kind of microaggressions throughout the film have yes. led to this point when, and they did mention earlier that the dad was a neurosurgeon, but I didn't clock that this was going to happen at all until it did. I thought it was a yeah. more kind of, um, I thought it was just a hypnotism thing, but I, I don't know. I really no, now, now you realise everyone's function. Yeah. Um, God. Um, so obviously, phase three happens, and he's oh, is this during? Yes, during the live feed. That's when he notices he scratched the hell out of this um, chair, and there is some stuffing from under the leather that has come free, and he's sort of pinching it with his fingers and going ooh, and you know that he's coming up with a plan. I didn't see this next bit coming, and I thought it was very, very, very clever. Um, I wouldn't have thought to have done it. Um, well, it seems obvious now, though. But here's the thing. How did he get it there? How did he... He could still lean. Oh, 
he wasn't attached by the neck, so you just had oh, to leave yeah. him in. Um, okay, sure. Yes. Yeah, because you noticed him trying to bite it earlier to try and get it yes. off. So, yeah, that, I um, So the brother comes down to... What, Jeremy. Um, he comes down to um, get Chris, and he's undoing the shackles, and... He's about to uh, put him on a... What does he have? Does he have a medical table or some kind of... It was like a chair, I think. Yeah, oh, it's a um, wheelchair. Because in the previous scene, we've seen the dad already started performing the brain surgery on the blind guy. Yeah, and it's like opened his... Oh, God, it was very uncomfortable because you could just see the empty operating table next to him and, oh, there's something about skull sores that I I, know... And the way everything pops off. And, oh, no, no. So um, he's come to collect him, and he's undone the, the, um, the kind of shackles he's in. Not shackles, yeah, but little The leather straps. And um, he turns around for something, and Chris has stood up. He's grabbed a... It's a bowls ball. Yeah. Like, and, oh, and great. And he whacks him over the head. Or is it a polo ball? It's a big, know. heavy ball of sport variety and you're like oh my god what's he done and then while he's the brother's bleeding on the floor he picks the fluff out of his ears so he's kind of like stopped himself Yay! from doing the, Triumph. he stopped himself from being hypnotized and and now he's just got to get the hell out of there and then the uh, the father the brain surgeon um dean he, he um starts to clock that Jeremy has been a very, very, very long time. And so he starts to look around and be a bit shifty. And um, much to his surprise, he looks one de- one way down a corridor and then looks the other way to which he is greeted by some antlers into the throat. Because um, he's picked up the, 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 deer, the deer off the wall and trophy. he's impaled him and... And he stumbles towards the brain surgeon and he's trying to keep it together, but then he just sort of stumbles and that's the end of him. But uh, there was a candle in the room, which was very silly, um, which starts to ignite the house. And this this kind of um, like bloodbath at the end, it all happens in such quick succession. It's like, so it's, satisfying. It, yeah, absolutely. People... Like, we're applauding. There, there's a moment later when, well, I'll explain when we get there, but... um. Oh, my goodness. The mum upstairs, he comes upstairs and the house is starting to fill with smoke and then he goes into the drawing room and uh, Missy, the mother, she's the other end of the room and okay. he's the other end of the room and the teacup is in the middle of the room and they both run for it. He pushes the teacup over and then she's like, ah, and so she goes and gets a knife and she stabs oh him through the hand. Yeah, because she's, she's like, he puts his hand out and it goes right through and he's just like, he's still being really strong and... <clears throat> and he manages the blade inside his hand. He manages to turn it round and you don't see what happens to her, but I imagine it gets her in the eye. I can't recall. No, I do not see it. No. no. She just whimpers and falls. Then he tries to leave the house. Um, um, and, the, and then, the brother oh, yeah, yeah, he sees back. Georgina. No, the brother comes back. He, oh, yeah, blah, yeah. Blah, blah, but then he, he has, ends up killing him he properly. He has part two, yes. And then he leaves the house, but we see she's Rose. Who's Georgina? Oh, Georgina, she's oh, in yeah, the kitchen. I about that, yeah. And 
she sort of scuttles away and he doesn't think anything of it. And then um, he's in a car and he's ready to go. He's in the car and he's about to drive and off. And we see Georgina in her room and she's got her headphones in. She's completely unaware. Not Georgina, Rose. Oh, sorry, Rose, yeah. Oh, it was... Oh, God, what song was it? Oh. It was like a really obvious 80s love song, I think. Yeah. I can't recall exactly what it was, but it was just and like... Again, it was, it was a sort of comedic moment because there she was with her legs crossed on her bed with all the photos of her ex-boyfriends on the wall and she was she had a glass of milk and a bowl <laughs> of little coloured cereal hoops that she was just meticulously nibbling on pathetically whilst looking up NBA players um, for potential future victims which um, I thought was quite comedic. Yeah, I did too. But then she, what does she hear? She hears something. She, she hears a noise. Oh, is that when... The car door. No, it's... Chris runs Georgina over, right? Yes. Georgina runs out in front of the car and he stops and has a really... Oh, there's such a moment, like... This almost feels like he, he, wants, a, he wants a redemption moment because he sees this woman of colour on the floor, he thinks, I can't do what that person's done to my mother. But he doesn't know how far gone her damage is. He picks her up and he puts her in the car. And she's out cold and they keep driving and then she comes round and she just freaks out and says, what does she say? Like, you've no. ruined my home! Yeah. And then that causes them to crash, but because she's not wearing a seatbelt, she goes skull first into the windscreen and dies and now he's really got to get out but then Rose is walking down the road with a sniper rifle and she's just picking at the car one bullet at a time and he goes to run and then she says oh no, no that's it Rose says oh, yeah. she was like grandma and it so becomes yeah Georgina, Georgina is the grandmother the is the grandmother's brain and then she goes, Grandpa, go get him. And Walter turns up and runs. And then that makes sense with the transatlantic accent. Because at the age that the grandmother and grandfather would have been, transatlantic accents were very fashionable and a sort of would-be um, educated and well-off uh, dialect to have. And like all of the movie stars of um, the golden era, era spoke in a transatlantic accent. Yeah. And it all fits into place and um but yeah. then oh, he gets out his phone yeah he, he thinks what do i do so he gets his phone out takes a picture does the flash and then you see it happening again the the eyes and then you think oh, and um he turns around to his daughter and says no to his granddaughter. granddaughter Rose. But that's the thing, he's but he's but back he's, again. Yes. So Although it's the granddad's brain and granddad's memory that's still He's back on. for a minute. The flash has kind of triggered something. And um he says I'm like, oh let me, let do, me it. do it. And he takes the rifle from Rose and she's looking satisfied, but then he turns the rifle on her and shoots her in the stomach and the whole cinema At this point the tension was so crazy and 
we were just so satisfied. We started clicking. And then, and then everyone was clapping was and crazy. wooing. And oh, thank goodness. But that kind of payoff, I don't get that very often in yeah. a horror as strong as I did with this one. But then... He turns the rifle on himself and, and shoots then himself there's through a the grim foot. reality of everything that that guy had been through being trapped in his own body. Yeah. Which I'm... I can't relate to. And we don't know for how long. We don't know. Yeah. That must have sucked though. And he goes over, um, Chris kind of walks over to Rose who's dying on the floor and she's like, Chris, it's I me. I love you. And, and, and he puts his hands down to her face. And, and then, then he, he goes to strangle her. And I'm like, woo! <laughs> and, um. But then. He, was, does, he can't do it. It's not. Oh. He sort of starts to give up. Does he? And yeah, yeah, yeah. He's doing it and then he lets go and she sort of gives him a look and she starts smiling at him and she thinks that she's won. But then And this is the the moment that the whole film is leading up to. Oh. And uh, this is the moment that the kind of whole film is leading up to. For me, this was kind of the crux of the whole thing. The, the whole root of the problem. In in a real sense. Now here's the image. You've got a white girl on the floor. Covered in blood. Covered in blood, other bodies around. And a gun next to her, and then Chris over her, literally lying on top of her, covered in blood, but clearly in the more advantageous uh, advantageous stance. And then this police car pulling up, and you could hear the kind of breath drawing in the in the theatre was dropped. like, oh fuck! Like after everything you've gone through in the film. Like, please don't let it be that police officer who stopped him earlier, please. Like, whoever it is, the assumption is, is that, that he's going to situation. get arrested, which is so awful. And then... Um, it's Rod. Rod gets out the car and he's found him. And he's sort of up and downing the situation. And again, it's sort of comedic relief. And he got a round of applause and we're like, oh, thank goodness. But in defence of the viewer, um, we didn't even know he had a car. Yeah. Let alone a police car. We didn't see him starting to travel. We Never just saw him always We, at we home. only saw him sitting down or at work. And but it was such a, such a satisfying payoff for the end of the film. So good. So I, good. I think it's important to note that... Um, it's obviously different premises, but other films in which communities all turn on An one person. For example, The Wicker Man, Rosemary's Baby, and any Stepford of that. Wives. Stepford Wives. Well, not, I wouldn't say Stepford Wives, but in terms of like these other two, the end usually is not particularly Good. positive. So I agree. I, I was being okay. kind of set up for it not to be, I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, I, was, I didn't feel like that until the moment the police car turned up and I was like, oh. But um, just to turn it on its head and give him the power at the end was, I don't know, it was great. It, it, was, was, it was, yeah, relieved. I mean, well, we say a positive ending. It was positive in the sense that he, yeah, he won the day and... I survived. Wasn't positive to have experienced any of that. No, I completely agree. Although a satisfying ending, it left me with a feeling of dread that I couldn't. Yeah, we were both really weird when we got home. Like it really sat with us for. It was something. Yeah, and then you apply it to the reality in which they're sort of addressing, 
Exactly, that's what's so powerful about the film, especially... It's so nice to see a politically charged horror movie that's actually clever. Especially with the political state of the world at the moment. Exactly, um, and... I think it's important to note that this film, while it was being written, produced, they wouldn't have known the extent of, like, the power what the new presidency it. was going to do, for example. There's but that, But it came yeah. out at, like, just the right time, I would I say. I agree. I, th I think this, the scariest thing about this film is... These people exist. Exactly. I mean, obvi um, obviously not not this kind of fictitious extreme, but, you know, the the kind of stuff touched on in this film happens every day. Yes. And that's what's that, the scariest and, point. And obviously, the, as we said, the historical context, like looking at it metaphorically, white people using black people's bodies, yeah. minds to get what they want. And that is really powerful and I commend Blumhouse for doing this. I don't know, for me, horror cinema, last year was pretty dire. Like I agree. There, uh, there was the, the Witch that came out last year, which was a real highlight. But I um, really like The Witch. Not many people were, in, were into it in terms of um, its language, but I, I really I, enjoyed I it. I adored it. It was my favourite horror film of the year, but most of the other stuff that came out, like... I don't know, The, the Forest, The Boy, it was all very Hollywood, very mediocre, and it was, but this feels like a really great start to the year, and I'm looking forward to other horrors that are kind of like It, for example. Absolutely. I, um, I haven't seen A Cure for Wellness yet, but I'm really looking forward to seeing that, um, but I just feel like this is more of a promising year for horror than the last. Oh. So out of five, how many bras does Get Out have I for you? I would definitely Sophie? give it five bras. It's a solid, unbeatable, titanium five bras. It's a solid five for me as well. A great film to start with, I think, on our podcast. If you have anything you'd like to say about this film, if you feel like we're wrong about something, or if you feel like you've got something you'd like to say... Contribute. Then... Please. Um, you can find us on... Instagram slash We, we really, really Like, like movies. movies. Facebook slash We, we really, really Like, like movies. movies. And Twitter slash Cinebra. We'd really like to continue the conversation there. So yes. feel free to find us. We're also on YouTube if you search Cinebra. Cinebra. And if you're in the UK, we also have a show coming up soon that is called Cinebra. A, a History, history of, of horror, horror. Which is about the history of horror films. So um, if you're a horror fan like us, be sure to check it out. The trailer's online. And... Yeah, well, you can get your tickets for Brighton Fringe. Our shows are from the 10th to the 18th. Well, limited dates. We've got the 10th at 10.30, the 11th at 9 o'clock, the 12th at 9 o'clock, the 16th and 18th at 9 o'clock. And that's at the Rialto Theatre, the bottom of Dyke Road in Brighton. Yes. Um, but find us on social media and we'll continue this conversation there with you. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks, everyone. I've been Megan. I've been Sophie. And we're Cinebra. Bye. Bye.